All right, Malachi chapter 3, and I want to draw your attention to the first verse. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come into his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm going to stop reading there for a second, but right here in Malachi 3.1, we have a direct prophecy about the triumphal entry of Christ is what it's known as. Today is what we call Palm Sunday, and this is the Sunday before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in, uh, on Palm Sunday, we see that famous story of the triumphal entry that we're going to look at in Luke 19 here in just a second. But there are many Old Testament prophecies. There's more than just Zechariah that prophesy of that triumphal entry. And most people today, they are not looking at those prophecies and studying them. And when you start looking at what the Old Testament prophesied was going to happen, and then when you start putting two and two together and say, well, wait, this took place, but this didn't take place, it's going to really open your eyes to a lot of stuff that is going to lead a person directly to what we believe about replacement theology, or as I like to just call it, New Testament theology. And I want to show you some things in here, some things I... I just recently noticed that really it kind of blew my mind and um, it this I'll tell you this study I know it's Sunday morning but we're gonna learn a few things today and unfortunately dispensationalism has done such a disservice to people's Bible study that these amazing things that we're gonna see in the scriptures today and see what when we understand what was fulfilled on that Palm Sunday it really is a shame that this kind of stuff is not being talked about in every Baptist church all over in America today. But it's not, because people have been very corrupted in this area. But this prophecy is about Palm Sunday. And Jesus knows how it mentions he's going to come suddenly into his temple, which is what Jesus did on Palm Sunday. That, Palm Sunday, that was the day of his coming. That was the coming of Christ. Palm Sunday was the coming of Christ. It was not the second coming. But it was, it was a part of that first coming. We understand, you know, he came as a baby and all that. But ultimately, everything he was doing, it was all a part of his coming. And this day, this Palm Sunday, that was the first coming of Christ, you could say, that was prophesied about. And it says in verse 2, But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in the former years. And I will come near unto you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against the false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside their stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. So, when you read the rest of that passage, like, well, wait a minute, I don't remember seeing the rest of that in the New Testament when Jesus came. So, therefore, uh, this didn't happen. Well, again, yeah, no, not all of this stuff happened, but there's a very good reason for that. Now, turn over to Luke chapter 19. I want to show you something here. So, this is the famous... Uh, triumphal entry in verse 37. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto them, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. I don't think we understand the significance of that passage right there. At his coming, when he showed up and he looked over the city of Jerusalem, it brought him to tears. And this was not a happy emotion that's taking place. He wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. And why is this? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And that's the title of the message this morning, the time of thy visitation. And it goes on and he does what it said he was going to do in Malachi and he went into the temple and, and, he, and uh, he began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house shall be uh, is a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And so that word visitation that he used there, first off, that word, one of the meanings of it is inspection. And understand what Jesus did that day. He came to inspect some things in Israel, and let me tell you, what he found that day was not good. When he went into the temple, he didn't find people from all nations praying. He did not find a sanctified people. He didn't even find a people that he could purify through the things of the law and offer up an acceptable sacrifice. You know what he did? He found a den of thieves, and what did he do? He ran them out of there. He ran them out of there. He wept over this place. And so when he that coming, that was his time to come and inspect Israel to see what they had done for his kingdom. He had already brought judgment on them hundreds of years before when the Babylonians came through and destroyed them. And God did a miracle of restoring them to their land, of rebuilding the temple. And they went into what is known as that second temple period. And they were supposed to be doing some things. God gave them some instructions. Zechariah prophesied about it. Daniel prophesied about it. Ezekiel prophesied about it. Malachi prophesied about it. About how the after they rebuilt that temple, the Lord was going to come and check up on them. And they better get it right this time. But folks, when the Lord showed up, they had not done what they were supposed to do. When, and we're not going to go to the story, but I, I dare somebody to tell me this doesn't apply to it. But when Jesus came and inspected the fig tree, he didn't find any fruit thereon. And you know what he did? He cursed it. And he said, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And that's why Israel has been one of the darkest places spiritually that you will ever see since that day. You know why? That fig tree had no fruit and that fig tree was destroyed. And so I find it interesting how this story, it's referred to as the triumphal entry. And, you know, and, and I don't think that's wrong. You know, I think I find it interesting we call it Palm Sunday. And as if it was this great day, and it is a cool image, to think of Jesus riding into that city, to see people waving palm branches, crying out Hosanna, which is like a term of praise that means save us or oh save, is what it means. But we need to understand when Jesus came in there that what he saw brought him to tears. They did not pass inspection. And so what I want to do in this message 
is take a look specifically at what the Bible says Jesus was going to be looking for when he came that day. Because again, if you have an inspector come, if it's inspecting a restaurant or some place of business, typically you know what they're looking for, right? Every year the fire department, they come and they inspect this place. And I typically know what they're looking for. And you know, and I, I always do my own personal inspection ahead of time just to make sure that, that you know, hopefully, so that hopefully they won't find anything. And they always find one little thing. Right? You, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how small a thing they found this last time. But we fixed it. We took care of it. I think there's only been one year where they had, had found nothing. There's always something. But you know, we typically know what they're looking for. And it, understand, when Jesus came to do his inspection, Israel should have known what he was looking for. Uh, and so we can go back in the Old Testament, specifically if we look at prophecies, about the triumphal entry, and we can find out exactly what Jesus was looking for. And so, but, here, but understand what we're going to see, he did not find. But what, as a result of him not finding what he was supposed to find, it resulted in him returning to his father and leaving us the comfort of the Holy Ghost so we could do even greater works than he did while he was on earth. And did you know that Jesus Christ is going to have a second coming? And did you know that that second coming is him coming and it's going to be a day of visitation? It's going to be a day of inspection. We are going to be inspected again. So the question is, you know, what's going to happen at the second coming? What is he looking for? And when you do, when you look at what, it's the same thing he was looking for at his first coming. So the question is, is he going to find it? And, and we're going to show what the scripture has to say about that. I, and so this is, it's fascinating because we can find out exactly what he was looking for if we'll just go to the prophecies that Jesus, or that were referred to in the Gospels. But before we do that, go, go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, because this is the chapter right before 19, right before his triumphal entry. And folks, this is all connected. Okay, Jesus is, is teaching them some things. The Bible is teaching us some things because there were specific things Jesus was looking for when he came into the temple on that Palm Sunday. And it says in Luke 18, verse 1, And he spoke a parable unto them, to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Seeing there was a, in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of thine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, Folks, that verse right there is one that we often appropriately take and ask when Jesus comes, meaning at his second coming, will he find faith on the earth? Did you know it's not wrong for you to do that? But what was he speaking of here? Was he speaking of something on that day that was his coming? Or was he speaking of something in the future? And the truth is, I think you could say both. Because he was looking, you know what he was looking for on that day? He was looking for faith. He, he, Jesus wanted to find a people of faith on that Palm Sunday, and you know what? He didn't find it. It wasn't there. And, but that's what he wanted to find. And so if we want to answer this question, 
Will he find faith when he comes? Well, in his first coming? No, he didn't. But here's the other question. Will he find it at his second coming? Well, the Bible does say in Ephesians 2, 8, 4, by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the question is, will Jesus find faith when he returns a second time? Well, you know what? Thank God, if you're saved today, if you have faith that saves you, then guess what? He will find faith on this earth because a faith that saves is a faith that stays too. We don't believe in this thing where you can like have faith one day and then lose it the next day. Saving faith is something that stays with you. But let me tell you something. Faith in your own righteousness, that can definitely be lost. And understand, that's the problem Israel had. They were going to establish their own righteousness through the law instead of the righteousness that was by faith. And because of that, they didn't find it. And so Jesus didn't find faith when he came at his first coming, but he, the, he will find faith at his second coming. The Bible says in Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And folks, this, it blows my mind when people tell me that Hebrews teaches you can lose your salvation. Because I think this is probably the clearest eternal security verse in all of the Bible. When he says he can save them to the uttermost, he's saying, I can save them completely. I can save them to the end. And it's like, well, how can he do that? Because we have such a high priest who became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. You know how come he's able to save us to the uttermost? Because he is the kind of high priest that we need. We are all the things that should make somebody lose their salvation. But because Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for us, we're saved forever. I mean, this verse is flat out telling us you're saved forever, and he's able to do that because he's our high priest. You know what it's doing too? It's giving all the glory back to Jesus Christ. But people miss this because people who believe you can lose your salvation are people who are actually trusting in their works instead of the works of Jesus Christ. So the thing is, I, we look at Hebrews and we're like, yeah, Jesus is all those things and I put my trust in him, therefore I will always be saved. Where people who don't believe in eternal security are trusting in themselves and so they're not looking to Jesus for their salvation, they're looking to themselves. But when you look to Jesus, you see why we can't lose our salvation. So ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus returns, he will find faith on the earth. We, th there will be those who are saved, there will be those who have trusted in his righteousness, and there will be a people who pass inspection. There will be a people on that day. Now, folks, our inspection is not going to be passed because we kept the law. It's going to be passed because of our high priest, Jesus Christ. But understand, when Jesus came at that first coming, the, they, he wasn't able to offer, purify the sons of Levi and offer up an acceptable sacrifices in the days of old. They were too rotten. They had failed too miserably in their keeping of the law. But Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ took away those cardinal ordinances that were against us and contrary to us. So again, at his second coming, he will find faith on the earth. But at his first coming, he did not find faith on the earth. Another thing he was looking for at his first coming was righteousness. Okay, God can't let an unrighteous people into heaven. Look what it says in verse 9 of Luke 18. Remember, all, everything in Luke 18 is leading up to his visitation 
in Luke 19, and it says in verse 9, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. We all know this passage right here. They, they trusted in themselves and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So folks, this passage right here, we use it to prove what we believe about salvation all the time. You have a Pharisee who thinks I'm doing a great job keeping the law, therefore I'm righteous. You've got a publican who is not righteous at all by the law, but acknowledges his sin, calls on God for mercy, but just trusts God for his mercy. And you know what? The Bible says he got righteousness. You know why? Why did Jesus bring this story up during this time? Why did he tell this parable right then? You know why? Because he's about to do inspection on Israel and he was hoping to find some righteous people, but he knew what he was about to find. He was about to find a bunch of Pharisees who were looking down at everybody else in the world and thinking we're so much better than all of them. But they were trusting in themselves. They were not trusting in him. They were rejecting other people. And Jesus wanted, he wanted to find righteousness and he did not find it at his first coming. There was no righteousness for him. There was no righteousness that was acceptable. And in Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, because thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And so that passage is directly quoted in Matthew at Christ's triumphal entry. That verse was fulfilled. But go read the rest of Zechariah chapter 9. None of that other stuff was fulfilled. You know why? Because Israel didn't do anything they were supposed to do. Because they didn't pass inspection. Isaiah 56 in verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. So right there, we in, in Isaiah 56, and we're going to go back and look at uh, some more of Isaiah 56 here in a little bit, but Jesus said, my righteousness is going to be revealed. And this is also prophetic about his triumphal entry. Malachi 3, 2 says, But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purify of sil silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now folks, understand, Jesus came and he did his part, but he did not bring righteousness through a Levitical sacrifice, did he? He brought righteousness through a sacrifice out of the, from the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. The Levites were too sorry. I mean, you've got stinking Caiaphas, that's the high priest during that time, who was a very wicked man. You think God, Jesus is going to use him to offer up an acceptable sacrifice that can purify the sons of Levi? There, there's no way he can do that. He wasn't able to do it, so you know what he did? He had to offer up, he offered up himself as a sacrifice, and that's how he brought salvation, and his righteousness was revealed during that time. But let me tell you, none of these good things came on Jerusalem during that time. They didn't pass inspection. So the big question is, will Jesus find righteousness at his second coming? And you know what? He is going to. The Bible tells us in Philippians 3, 8, 
Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ, of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. So notice how Paul said, I'm going to be found of Him, not with my own righteousness, not with the righteousness that's from the law, like he was looking for at his first coming, but no, I'm going to be found with his righteousness. I'm going to be found with the righteousness that comes by faith. Folks, the kind of righteousness, the only righteousness that would be acceptable to a holy God, the, kind of, the only righteousness that Jesus could have accepted at his first coming is a righteousness that comes by faith, and it's a righteousness that can only come through Jesus Christ, and that's why he had to offer up himself as that sacrifice. And so, folks, when Jesus comes at his second coming, guess what? He's going to find some righteousness. You know why? It, not because of our performance. Not because our music's so much more conservative than the liberal contemporary church. Not because we dress so much better than they do. Not because we're so much better than the world. No, but because we have his imputed righteousness. How did we get it? We put our faith in him. That, that's it. That's all we did. Uh, isn't that so much better than doing the things of the law? Aren't you glad we, you, you don't have to depend on a Levitical priest? Listen, I try to be faithful as a pastor to the best of my ability, but let me tell you, I could never be a faithful high priest that's able to save to the uttermost. Not capable of it, but guess what? You all don't even need a priest, ladies and gentlemen, because we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, and he is able to save us to the uttermost. So Jesus will find righteousness at his second coming. So what if all the Christian dies out? It's, called, it's also called the resurrection. I don't care if there's four saved people left when he returns. He's going to find all kinds of righteousness because when he uh, descends with a shout, the dead in Christ are going to rise. And they're going to have a new glorified body that's like Christ, one without sin. So folks, there's going to be all kinds of righteousness. But folks, where did that righteousness come from? It all came from Jesus Christ. None of it came from a temple in Israel. None of it came from the Levites. None of it came through any keeping of the law. It all came through Jesus Christ. And so another thing Jesus wanted to find at, at that triumphal entry, at his that day of visitation, he wanted to find a people that were trusting him. Look what it says in verse 15. Not just people who have, you know, listen, we want to have faith, but you know, faith by itself doesn't do anything unless it's in the right thing. Some people have faith in Muhammad. That won't do anything for you. Some people have faith in Mary. Some people have faith in Jesus and themselves. But that's not enough. You have to have faith completely in Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 15, And they brought unto him infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, why is Jesus bringing up this story here? We all, know, we all know these stories. Everybody's familiar with these stories. You can go to any church in America and any pastor that's preached for any length of time, they've preached on these stories. But folks, it's not a coincidence that all of these things are being told right here before his triumphal entry because these have special message that connect with his coming, his day of visitation that was about to take place. They are refusing these little children. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? We all know this story too. We're all familiar with all these stories, but you know what we never talk about? What? 
the context of all these things, what it's pointing to. And we know the story. Why call Salmi good? And, and again, I heard a guy this week talking about how this was proven that they had to get saved by works in the Old Testament. No, this was Jesus showing this guy, you're not good. You haven't even kept the first commandment. You love your stuff more than you even love God. And people, I mean, I thought, you read that and thought Jesus was teaching salvation by works and faith in that dispensation. You are a fool. And I don't know how you could possibly be saved to read the Bible and think that. And we're not going to go through that whole story, but you know, you know that story. And so the thing is, too, this was a rich guy. This was the kind of guy that all of them would be willing to accept. But this guy wasn't even worthy to be following Jesus. And he said how, you know, and he, Jesus said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 25, for it is easy for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then they heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So notice, you know, it said it's anybody can be saved. It's all possible with God. But Jesus was looking, you know what he was looking for? He was looking for a people from every land, from every kindred. He was looking for rich, for poor, for old, young, bond, and free. Turn back to Isaiah 56. How do you know that? Well, like I said, I don't think it's a coincidence, all this stuff that he brought up right there in Luke chapter 18, but let's go to a prophecy that Jesus literally quoted at his triumphal entry. And so it says, and we already read verse 1, but look at verse 2, it says, Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying... The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus, now, the, uh, folks, these specific people he mentioned are people that at one time were kind of ex excluded from the law. But this prophecy, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but again, when all this judgment is being pronounced on Israel during this time, it's because of all their wickedness, but it was also prophesied that they were going to be restored to their land, and there were some things that changed. There were some things that God added, and God wanted them including people from all nations. God wanted them including the, the eunuchs. God wanted them including everyone. And it says, For unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It sounds like, like Jesus was planning on eternal security there too. And he's saying that, the, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm planning on bringing more people into this fold, is what he's saying here. These are, and these people, too, specifically, during this time, and there's a ton of scriptures about it, we're not going to go into it, what was the problem the Pharisees had? They were excluding everyone. They hated the Samaritans. You know, they hated all these outcasts of Israel, these people who hadn't kept the law very good, people who didn't keep good records of their genealogies and were polluted and all that. But he said, even unto them... Will I give within my house within my walls a, a place? I already read that verse 6. And the son of the stranger that joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar for mine house 
shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Is that verse familiar to anybody? You know what? Because Jesus wanted to find people from every nation there at that triumphal entry. But you know what? All he found was a bunch of sorry Jews who thought they were righteous and had no righteousness. You know what he found? A bunch of sorry Jews. That were just a, it was a den of thieves. And he said, this isn't what I came for. This isn't what I called for. It says, the Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel saith, yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. He wanted a people who understood that they needed him to save them from their sin. Psalm 118 verse 19 says, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. The, this gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is to become the headstone of the corner. Do you know Jesus quoted that at his triumphal entry too when they rejected him? This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, we sing that song all the time and, and there is, there's a spiritual truth to that. But did you know that this day that he was prophesying about that the Lord hath made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. It was the day of his coming on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. That's what it was. And then notice what it says in the very next verse. I think, I think some of them understood this too at the triumphal entry because remember how they're all crying out Hosanna, which means save us or oh save. It's like, a, it's like a Hebrew term of praise. Notice what it says after that. Save now. I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. That's exactly what they were singing. To it is coming. So they're, they're singing this psalm, but folks, they didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They, they were blinded to it. it they, they didn't even realize when they're saying save us or oh save and hosanna i think they were thinking in their minds save us from the romans but the truth is they needed to be saying hosanna or save us but save us from our sin we are the problem we are we are too sinful and so they were they were looking for a deliverer but a deliverer from their the physical enemies they had not the spiritual problems that they had but understand these people they weren't they weren't acceptable they could not be accepted through the things of the law. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is able to make them acceptable and made them able to be accepted through his sacrifice on the cross. But they have to turn to him. They have to trust in him. They have to believe on him. So here's, here's the big question. When Jesus returns at the day of his, next day of his visitation, at his second coming, are there going to be people trusting in Jesus? Are there going to be people who have said, Hosanna, or oh, save us? Are there going to be, yeah, you better believe there's going to be. Romans 10, 8 says, but what saith that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart? That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So folks, understand, those people, when they, they were calling on the Lord during that time, but they weren't calling on Him from, with faith. They weren't calling on Him for the right thing. Listen, you can call on the Lord to save you from your financial problems. That doesn't mean you got saved. Okay, calling on the Lord that's talking about here is calling on Him for salvation from your sins. And let me tell you something. Those who do that, they're the ones trusting Jesus. And how can, we, how can we know if somebody's trusting in Jesus? How do we know? 
You know, we, they, do, they have to confess with their mouth. You know, we don't baptize anybody with, unless they confess Jesus Christ. Somebody wants to get baptized, what's the first thing they do? Are you saved? How do you know you're saved? They better talk about Jesus. That's why I scratch my head about these people, too, who are like, oh, I never called on the Lord. You know, I don't believe you have to confess Christ. Well, how are you going to get baptized? How are you going to be obedient if you don't do these things? Because I'm not baptizing you unless you confess Christ. Nope, I'm determined to prove you can get to heaven without ever confessing him. And so I'm just never going to mention his name again. You're listening to too many internet people. And you need to watch out for that. And I don't want to preach that again. But that's a lot, there's a lot of foolishness surrounding that. But folks, the way we know if somebody's trusted in Christ, and the reason I know that there are going to be people like Jesus is looking for is because there's people here confessing Christ. People here in this church, you've confessed Christ. You've called on the Lord. You've called on Him to save you. And so we, we know we're good. The Bible says in Isaiah 45, 17, which I believe Romans 10 is referring to, it says, But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed, nor confounded, world without end. Verse 22, Look unto me, and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength, even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. And right there... That's exactly what we preach today. And so will there be people confessing Christ at his second coming? Because th think about this. At his first coming, as he comes into his temple, you know, what, 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 did the, what were the people doing? What were they waving? Palm branches, right? They're waving palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. Crying Hosanna. But again, Jesus wept over that city. Jesus did not like what he found. What he found was not acceptable. So guess what? There's going to be a second coming. We've already shown he is going to find a people of faith. He is going to find a people who have righteousness. Not their own, but his righteousness. He's going to have people that are calling on him and calling on him for the right thing, that understand what he saved them from. And you know what else, you know what else we're going to be doing on that next day of visitation too? I, I, never, even, I never made this connection before. But we're going to be waving palm branches, just like it is first coming. But we're going to be acceptable this time. Now look what it says in Revelation chapter 7. Now a lot of people, a lot of people, because they are politically uh, tied to a goofy uh, eschatological position, cannot admit how clear you know, it is that Revelation 7 is talking about the rapture. This is just showing it from heaven's side. But understand, when Jesus comes for that second inspection, he goes to the world. He's going to send his angels. He's gathering, he's gathering us up. And it says in verse 9, And after this I, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations. That's what Jesus wanted at his first coming. And kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Oh, there's no connection you know, between the first and second coming there. You know what? 
I'm done with you at this point, all right? I'm done with you. You can stay stuck behind your brick wall and your Bible study. People have just, you know, they've got to dump this dispensational junk. They've got to dump this dumb pre-trib stuff. They're missing so much stuff. Folks, we got another Palm Sunday coming. Another Palm Sunday is coming. One of these days, Jesus is going to come back, and we're going to be waving palm branches, and we're going to get accepted this time. We're going to be wearing white robes. And it says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. We're not crying on Him to save us. He's already saved us. But what are we doing? We're crediting Him for our salvation this time. We're not, we're not, we're not, it's not going to be like begging Him to save us. No, we're already saved, and we're just praising Him for doing it. At His second coming, it says, And all, all the angels stood around about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne in their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be under our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, They are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So folks, where are they given all the glory for their righteousness, for their cleansing? From Jesus Christ. And understand you know, what Jesus did at his first coming, after his death, burial, and resurrection, did you know that he actually did go up into a temple in heaven and he offered up an acceptable sacrifice up there? He poured his blood out on the mercy seat. He did all the things that had to be done to, make us, to be able to cleanse us and to be able to give us that imputed righteousness and to make us acceptable before a holy God. And it says, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And you know, a de you know what you know what a desperate I know what the desperate pre-tribbles will do when you when you make this connection. I know what they I know what they're gonna do. I know their excuses. They're just gonna say, well, this is all about the Jews. Right here. Wait a minute. I thought it was all about the Jews in the Old Testament. You know, now it's a Gentile period. But no, did you know it was supposed to be about the Gentiles in the Old Testament too? Jesus was mad when there weren't people from all nations at his first coming. And here specifically in Revelation 7, from, they're from every nation, from every kindred, from every tongue. This isn't about the Jews. This is about everybody else. This is Jesus finally getting what he wanted to have the first time. This is Jesus getting what he came for. And, and understand, at his first coming, he came to get these things through the law, and it didn't work. It didn't happen. And he knew it wasn't going to be that it wasn't going to work. It was always his plan for him to go to the cross. But he did all those things to teach us something. And it's to teach us that we can't, we cannot get salvation by the law. The only way we can get salvation is by going directly to him. But what is it that most, that's most people today are trusting in to get themselves to heaven? Their works. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to point people to Jesus Christ. We're, try, we're saying the same message of the Old Testament of look and live. You know, and we're trying to get people to believe on Christ and to trust in Him. And guess what? He's going to find it the next time. And then real quickly, I'm not even going to take the time to read all this, but interestingly enough, if you go to Luke 18, again, right before His triumphal entry, after Jesus tells all those uh, parables and gives all these examples showing what He was going to be looking for. Peter asks a question in verse 28, and he says, then Peter said, lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said to them, verily I say unto you, that there is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time 
and in the world to come, life everlasting. And so, and then he went, took him to go up to Jerusalem. So notice this. You know what else Jesus is looking for? Now, this isn't a guarantee that he'll find. That he, it's not guarantee. I mean, it's a guarantee he's going to find this, but it's not necessarily a guarantee for you. Okay? And that is, he's wanting to find some faithful servants that he can give rewards to. Okay? If you're saved, you will have the imputed righteousness. But will you have the works? That is something that we have to wait and see. That's up to you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, okay, everyone who's saved has Christ Jesus, they're going to go to heaven. But some of us, you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to build on that foundation. We're trying to build some gold, silver, and precious stones. You know, and we don't want to just have a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble. Some people are going to have all wood, hay, and stubble, and it's all going to get burned up. It's going to be trying the fire, it's going to get burned up, and they're not going to have any rewards. But notice how Jesus said that those of you that have left father, mother, brother, and all those things, you're going to receive a hundredfold. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is coming back. He is going to set up a kingdom. He's going to be bringing his rewards with him. And I do believe there will be faithful servants. The question is, will I be one of those faithful servants? Will you be one of those faithful servants? Will you be somebody who has some rewards? I hope so. I hope so, but you know what you got to do? You got to stay faithful. You got to keep busy. You got to, we need to stay motivated. Don't just be like, I'm saved. I'm all good. You know, I'm going to just take it easy the rest of the way out. You know, you're going to regret that someday. I, when Jesus comes back, I hope he finds me busy. I hope he finds me working. I hope he doesn't find me sleeping. And so, um, in, in Luke 18, verses 31 through 34, we're not going to take time to read that, but he's but notice what it says. It says, Then he took unto them the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted upon, and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things, and this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. And so understand, when he said that there too, that all the things that were written were going to be fulfilled, it's not like a preterist would say that all prophecies are going to be fulfilled, but he specifically mentioned the things concerning his death, burial, and resurrection. All of those things were going to be fulfilled because those things were prophesied. All the things of the gospel, all the things for the works of salvation, they were going to be fulfilled within that next week. And what Jesus would do in that next week it was good news for all the world but you know what that when jesus went in jerusalem he still wept you know why because this city that he loved he knew they weren't going to experience the salvation that was prophesied but they would actually face destruction and jesus loved that city he loved those people but you know what he told the woman when he was carrying the cross and they were weeping for him he's like you weep for yourself and for your children because judgment, judgment came on those people because they did not experience his salvation because they did not believe on him. So folks, when you think about Palm Sunday, think of it, that day, that was his first coming. That was the main day of his first coming, and he, what he found was not acceptable. While he was triumphant in what he did that week for us, Israel failed big time. But ladies and gentlemen, at the next day of visitation, at his second coming, 
We will all be victorious. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb. Because of Him, because of what He did for us, and that is something to celebrate. And so with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your salvation that You have provided for us. We thank You for these things in Your Word that help us understand more about Your salvation. And Lord, I pray You'll help us as we try to spread that message, Lord, that I pray that You'll help us to do our part and Uh, reaching those people of all nations and kindreds and tongues. And I pray, Lord, that when you do return, we know you're going to find faith. We know you're going to find righteousness and people that are trusting in you. But, Lord, I pray also you'll find faithful servants. uh, And it'll be people that are in this room serving you when you return. In your name we pray. Amen.